This is GAA Embedded on Balls.ie, where we were with you all the way through the summer as we brought you the best analysis in the uh, GEA Championships. We had Shane McGrath on hurling. We had uh, Darren O'Sullivan on football. We had loads of guests as well. But the GEA season isn't over. And uh, one of the guests that we did have on all the way out through the uh, through the summer was also uh, Morris Brosnan. And Morris, delighted to say he's with us again because... Um, in fairness, Morris, the GEA season isn't over. Uh, there's there's lots happening. We're watching club championship. It's absolutely brilliant. There's a managerial merry-go-round, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes in both in both sports, to be honest, in football and hurling. There's all star nominees. It just never stops at the moment. And it's funny, I was like I was down um country last weekend, and you know, you're in the local pub and the local team are playing in the championship in the quarterfinal the next day and i have to say there's more gea talk than there is in the height of summer because when it's your local team and when it's like good luck tomorrow lads you know to the guy working behind the bar or the guy you might see walking down the road it's it's like it's just such a special thing for the local community this time of year i'm breaking no news here i'm just kind of in that sort of exciting excited uh uh, just being kind of close to it at the moment is just one of those things that I get really, really excited about every kind of October and November and then sort of forget about come the summer. That's a great point, Mick. I was actually thinking about this last week. You know, um, like the you look at, right, remember at the start of the year, there was a bit of surprise, a lot of surprise actually when the opening round of the Connors Championship, Mayo played Leitrim, it didn't sell out. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. The people were kind of surprised that, you know, people have been starved of football at Mayo, a football-obsessed county. Uh, Leitrim, obviously, quite similar and wasn't able to sell out. And then you look at last weekend, and I think I was on Twitter midweek and West, Westport against Castlebar Mitchells, they stopped selling tickets because that game sold out in, uh, in Castlebar and Mayo. And, but I think this comes back to the whole point of this is that when you get uh, those kind of invigorating competitive games, which is something we might come on to later on, that suddenly it will it really doesn't excite people. Like I, I was buzzing watching some, some of these games back. Watching I watched uh, a couple of the Galway Championship games from from here in Melbourne. You know, over the weekend, like it, it just has you really excited. And it does to my mind. I think Gaelic football at GA as a whole is on the edge of something really big here. Like I do think we could kick on to the next level if a couple of crucial things happen. Fingers crossed. I think my motion B will get through Congress. I'm sure we'll talk about that later again. Um, it, it reminds me a small bit of. You know, if we get this fixed calendar down, I think you could have an ultra-competitive, really exciting championship. And then we go into this club action, which we've all seen is a capability to grab people. And it reminds me a small bit of, you know, a couple of years ago, back in 2016, I got... um. I got some work in Kansas City working for a local news station there, right? And, uh, you know, that's a football-obsessed, NFL I'm talking about here, America football-obsessed city. They've nothing else, like no basketball team there, soccer team, but it's very small. And, uh, I, but I was, anyway, I was arriving in February and I was really disappointed because I thought, like, oh, I'm going to miss out on the, the actual NFL season. It'll bring me, I was six months there, bring me right up until the season kicks off, but I actually won't get to see that buzz. And I very, very quickly realized that, uh, that's not how it works over there. NFL is a 365 all year round, 24-7 sport. There's talking points regardless. It's, you can set your clock to the seasons around it, whether they go from the end of season, the end of season fallout into uh, preseason controversies, into suddenly new managers, how they're going to go. A manager will always do something. You know, they will control the narrative. Sometimes they'll do something deliberately to drum up some hype. You know, I'm uh, Tim Tebow went in as a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars on Urban Meyer I think that was I think he was conscious you know make a statement there there was absolutely no chance that was ever going to work this year and that will that's something we might actually talk about later on again in terms of controlling the narrative but I think GA yeah. could do the same thing you know GA could actually could dominate the year in a way that uh, I have to say has me very excited yeah because some of our other conversations have been about that they like in some ways are tightening the uh the national focus 
part of the year by you know obviously they have to make room for the club championships there's no denying that but maybe it was a bit extreme but at the same time if you can make this a wider range and look it has to incorporate the county game it has to incorporate bigger things because although the club is super exciting it is a local thing you're never going to have the same kind of audience for uh, local club games as you are for counties you're never going to have that neutral view i would say as well in in as big a numbers but there is so much in the county as well because look we had is it black black sunday when all the coaches get fired in in america, booth, in america yeah. football? Uh, something like that you know you've uh you know and then i'll we we've hiring for a month then then you have like free agency at a very certain time of year when all the players change you have the draft so on that's how they do that 365 like you were saying we're very much in managerial merry-go-round season at the moment in the GEA. So we're going to get into a little bit of that because there's lots to talk about for both sports. I also want to um, talk to you about the uh, all-stars that were named, uh, the well, the nominees for the hurling anyway, and for the hurler and young hurler of the year. So we'll get to that in a minute too. Um, and also we'll just talk about this. There's, there's like an absolute plethora of um, of club stories that we could get to. And look, we... and. Our point is let's let's play our part in making this around a year round thing. We'll be here with you um, regularly um, for the rest of the year as we kind of look again, not just that like specifically at the club championship. They will create their own stories, but there's lots more going on as well. There's wider issues in the GEA as well, and look, we want to get into it, and we probably have more time at this at this time of year to delve deeper into it and not just react to what happened on Sunday. So that's what we're looking forward to, Morrissey on board. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Good to have our production meeting and and, and finally landed <laughs> you into the show on air. But let's get into let's get into uh, some of the managers. We'll start with football because we'll, we'll come back to the hurling in a minute when we talk about the All Stars. But there's look what what have we seen so far? There's a lot of jobs still out there to be named, but the biggest one is as soon as Jack O'Connor left Kildare, I went hold on a minute, he's got the Kerry job, and then the narrative for a couple of weeks was, I don't think that's true. There's a few other options. He might not even be going for it. Somebody said, you know, they're going to stick with Peter Keane, so on and so forth. But I think sometimes the most simple answer is often the truth. And it did transpire in the end, regardless of what the process was or who told who what or whatever. And there's varying reports. Um, either way, I would say Jack O'Connor, if he wasn't, if he didn't know he had it, thought he had a very good chance and decided he was going to step away from Kildare go to Kerry. The big question is, we discussed massive problems. Peter Keane, I thought, had a very, very fair statement last week about yeah. player support and about what they'd achieved. So, you know, they had a bad year last year, straight knockout, caught in the hop, COVID year, a uh, year before extra time or replaying the All-Ireland final. And this year, lost to the All-Ireland, All-Ireland champions in the semi-final by a point in extra time, right? But that doesn't always tell the exact story. We saw the issues. Like, you're a better analyst of the game by far than I am. And I, I'm just a casual viewer who could see the glaring issues that were involved in Kerry that management should have been more prepared for that will ultimately take the blame for, I suppose, is probably the best way of putting it. So there is issues there. So one, do you feel sorry for Peter Keane not getting another run? And then two, is Jack the right man to go back to is nostalgia in a way is going back to a guy from 10 years ago the way forward yeah see mick this is why we don't need production meetings there was two strands to this that i wanted to talk about and you just hitting both of them there <laughs> so <laughs> um like firstly I, I i do feel sorry for peter keen i have to say i think covid was such a compromised year even despite the criticisms that could just widely made over the court game the one thing i would say and i think this is 
this is a, such a fundamental starting point, right? And it's just like I, I cannot understand how more counties have not got this message. That at least at the very least, you can say about Kerry is they have it, the business done early, like they have it done now in September. I think, uh, by all accounts, Jack O'Connor is going to have a presser uh, next week. You know, we'll, we'll hear his comments on it. That'll be put to bed. You look across the border, like Cork were knocked out well before Kerry. It's my understanding they haven't even finished interviews in Cork. You look at Meads, as we speak, there's news breaking that. Andy McIntyre's position, there's uh, speculation around that. The executive, the county board executive had a vote last night. Uh, he didn't get full support. He Actually, it was 8-7 against him. So now the clubs need to, the decision will be put to the clubs. But why are Meads organising this in October? Of You know, I, I don't, I do not understand why counties cannot put this stuff to bed earlier. Like, And, you know, you, you look at the amount of vacancies that are still to be filled. I just think that it is good practice to get this done early. Um, we'll talk about Galway, the Hurland situation later on another situation that's been dragging on and on and on yeah the message from the county board keeps saying oh another week we'll we'll have this finished another week another week there's club games going, going on right now in the county in some of these situations there's you need drastic overhauls for those to be drastic overhauls you need to hold trials for those new trials you need to give club players some degree of security they need to know like what am i finished up my club championship am i do i have an opportunity to go for a trial can i go on holiday mm. uh, who am i uh, trying to campaign to here so none of that is boxed off and i for for the life of me at, least, at the very least like there's a lot of it that was um, I would say kind of unsettling I would have to say about the situation especially how Jack Connor went about it I think you know I, I don't think anybody came out with credit of that but at the very least it's put to bed by now and I, I cannot understand how in other counties they're letting this drag on in, in, like we're talking we're talking here in the first week of October and there's counties that still have, haven't a clue who's going yeah. to be over next and year look this is just football alone right it's such a huge list of things so it's Cork as you mentioned the biggest the biggest name of them all right and there's you know Rick and maybe, you know, they're talking about it now. But as you said, we're, we look like we're way off getting an announcement there, at least, you know, down another team, always full of potential, no manager, uh, leash, you know. It could, if Mead are throwing themselves into this position this late in the year, it's absolutely bananas. We'll see what unfolds from that. I don't understand how Mead, who are clearly making progress, decide that now's the time to do it. But anyway, Longford, Leitrim, Wicklow and Waterford, that's a huge amount of football teams um this late in the year uh that have still no manager and as you said there's so many things that can go into these couple of months before the teams start getting back together uh i don't know it's absolutely crazy but uh, yeah so Kerry has put the bed at the very least but did they put it to bed in the right way yeah i like i don't know i was listening back to just ahead of this conversation we're having i listened back to that jack o'connor the famous examiner podcast he did where he basically talked about what his desire to go to the Kerry game but I actually went back and listened to his analysis his actual analysis of where Kerry are going wrong now you know your hope would be maybe that in terms of he is the by all accounts you know he hardens his teams he trains them very well I don't know if he has a huge amount of input tactically like maybe that's why someone like Michal Kirk who by all accounts is very interested in that side of the game Jeremy Murphy as well apparently is also very interested in the side of the game you, you, there's all these uh, reports about Paddy Talley perhaps that's why that link is there but when you listen like his analysis some of it to my mind was way off you know like he spent a good portion of that podcast talking about James O'Donoghue and um the, his role as a, a center forward I think like he was angling as a, maybe it was an alternative for Polly Clifford like I, there's Kerry have a lot of issues replacing Polly Clifford is not one of them from this year I can tell you that for a fact so you know I think the the manner of James O'Donoghue leaving maybe more so is what he was trying to get at there like you know there was stuff about I think I think he was left out of an internal game and just before he decided to leave the panel so maybe that that was more so what he was trying to get at but you know James who is what is he 32 or is he 33 or 32 next year so I'm not sure if that's something I'd put a huge amount of stock in 
spent a lot of time talking about sweepers as we've talked about a lot on this uh podcast like sweepers is not solution look at what tyrone did this year it's about having these a modern version of a footballer that kind of middle third where they can master these multifunctional roles so i that i you know that stuff wouldn't to be honest like that wouldn't inspire me greatly but i do think from a carry perspective right i you know if we could compare this maybe we're going to talk about galway hurling in a second carry are looking for a quick fix here you know this is it doesn't matter i don't really think the manner of it matters i don't really think how it came about matters. The only priority for them is getting over the line and getting on Ireland. Whereas, to, to my mind, Galway are looking at, like, I think that needs to be a total structural overhaul. We'll talk about that in a second. So I think they're in very different places. So ultimately, like, I thought there was a lot of stock. I thought the other ticket, the other reporter ticket was very impressive, I thought. Mm. Um, but it sounds like... Yeah, exactly. Tony Buckley, obviously, who yeah. I think the players are very fond of. I think they looked for somebody in a similar role to be replaced this year and they didn't get it. Um, that was definitely something that they were angling for. So, like, their scope that way in terms of I, your suspicion might be that they, did they enter the race? You know, Jack Connor had already declared his interest, mm. he'd already left Kildare at that time. Um, I'm sure you know. He, you know, he he had a fair degree of security of what he was going about to do. So ultimately, you know, I, I don't think any of that would matter a damn. All this is just window dressing. To the, he'll be, you know, if this is going to be a results business for him, it'll be his next year. Get, I, and I, you know, it could be as short term as get get it done next year. To be honest, you know, yeah, a, a two year term. I, I really think the like, there's a lot of expectation on this team to deliver now. So in his favour, he hasn't been out of the game. He was obviously inter-county manager for the last two years. Before that, he was involved with Kerry Miners under-21s, won a lot, you know, and was kind of almost seen. I remember sitting watching the 2014 All-Ireland Final as Jack and his minor team yeah. were sitting there watching the senior final, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, God, it's only a matter of time. Jack's not gone away. He's going to be back. That's only five years. That's only, that's only three years after he'd been gone at that stage from the senior team, you know what I mean? So it just seemed like he'd never really left Kerry football. I think that's important. I think the fact that he's worked with a lot of these guys, the young core of the team coming through is important. But at the same time, like I often think back and I think about the success. It's undoubted. I don't want to take all Ireland's off anybody. I don't want to take anything, but that team was phenomenal. It was magic. And what did he, he unlocked on? He, he unlocked Declan O'Sullivan and you should be given credit for that, but they're also two generational players on a team where they were just two of, seven or eight of those guys you know i think that there's a you feel like they would have come true anyway um so i don't want to i don't want to dismiss his achievements which were phenomenal but they also were a long time ago and they were within a like a, a team that was ripe for the picking some would argue this carry team might be in a similar in a similar vein like you know you've still got david clifford has to go and win his all ireland sean o'shea has to you know what i mean there's there's young guys all over the place yeah, and I think like I, there's absolutely no doubt that that is a, a factor in when Jack O'Connor took the like you have to remember that minor team was successful before he took it under Peter Keane. Yeah. Um, he took it, he got a twenties job that a lot of people didn't yeah. think he was uh, actually anticipated to get and failed to deliver that team. Like let's be honest, like the, that team was from way out. That was one of the teams that actually had the of very very close to a full arsenal at their disposal and end up getting like very well beaten by Clare really. Um, yeah. So the, the, that you know, and that actually, uh, like a lot of people envisage that was going in, in, against his favor when he, by all accounts, wanted to carry job before Peter King got it. So you know, yeah, yeah. Th- that that has to be borne in mind that this is something he wanted from a long, long way out. I I, I think you're 100 percent right. By the way, I, I, the relevance of what he did tactically, I've seen that drawn a lot. You know, about introducing like steely players, you know, the likes of Aidan O'Mahony. And I mean, the, the relevance of what he did in 2006 has absolutely nothing to do with the game in 2021. There's, there's very little that's no. 
comparable really in that in regard. Fact, no, if, I'm he sure. it, if he thinks it is, it's a worry because it's like what you're talking about again. I, I, and it's like Jack O'Connor knows more about football than I'd ever know if I studied it every day for 100 years. But what I'm saying is that if he's still talking about sweepers and so when we've seen that the evolution of the game is the people who invented sweepers are now beyond this and are kind of like it's almost like a fly sweeper for want of a better word you know and it's like but if you're still five years ago those teams know how to beat it and you're going to be constantly behind the curve because you're not innovating you're copying and so on and so forth and you're actually copying from the past really not even from the present so that would be a concern if if there's a sort of a sense of oh all the 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 things he did a decade ago are relevant to 2021 we know it's irrelevant but if jack o'connor doesn't that's an issue exactly and you know like make what your hope would be like you're so right on, on that point and your hope that your hope would be that those he recognizes that you know as simple as these things are they need to be taken in a, a bit more of a complicated structure and that would be a decision that would come around collectively including you know the likes of uh, Michal Quark or maybe if it's, it's Pally Halley as well so like for my example right like, I look at that carry team and I think you know the idea of introducing a bit of steel I think like yes but for different reasons I I, I Ty Molly I think was crucially underused this year I think he's a really good man marking cancelled out player not a huge amount of football on him I think it's fair to say but at the same time you could Easily, he could have added into the fullback. What I would have actually have done this year, I think, is uh, Ty Morley could easily go in cornerback. You could get Thomas Sullivan out of there. Thomas Sullivan, to my mind, could be the new carry six. I think um, he played. He won a he won club player of the year with Dingle as playing as a centre back. Uh, like so, he, he has a lot of in the club championship in carry when they won it. Uh, was it two years ago uh, or twenty nineteen maybe? Um, so he has experience in that role. From from that role, he has a defensive mind. We've seen that time and time again. His ability to cancel out players, but he can also get forward. So I think that would be perfect for him. This kid who was actually over here this year, uh, Stephen Kibar, <coughs> I'd be, I think that's a gift for Jack O'Connor. Mm-hmm. When I first reported this, I said it was a gift, and some people come back and was like, you know, it's, it's a difficult transition for a lot of players to come back. And the reason I say that is because, you, you, like, you have to look at what is it exactly you're getting and what is the situation that they need and what the Kerry need. Now, no, Kerry don't need too many more footballers. I'm not saying that Stefan is not a footballer, like, um, he was a fab- fabulous, fabulous underage player for Kerry, especially in the 20s. But what he is above all else is a freak athlete. And when I say that, I mean this guy was in the top couple of percentile in the AFL. Like he it was a phenomenal athlete. And so regardless of your, a lot of players struggle with their football ability coming back, which I'm sure Stefan probably would have with as well. But athletically, you're getting a player who is so far beyond what they had previously which means that you, you can just you know that pace and power that they're kind of crying out for coming off uh, rebounding off the back he can provide that so I think there's a lot of scope for someone like that to come in and have a pretty big impact you know you look at how other players have struggled a lot of the struggles are actually to do with physically the different games I don't think that'll be necessarily the same case for someone like Stefan you know I if you draw a comparison a lot of people are crying out for Mark O'Connor who's also at long to come back for Kerry I think Mark yeah. O'Connor would probably enjoy more of a transition to be honest than someone like Stefan Ockenbar. Because like, I'm not saying Mark Connor is not a good athlete, but he's not comparable to Stefan Ockenbar. And also, Mark Connor will have to get his skill set up to pace because that's what he was so good at. He was this like dynamic midfielder. A lot of people have drawn comparisons that, you know, could it be Kerry's answer to Brian Fenton? That stuff takes time to get back up. You know, your yeah. cat kick past, yeah. all that stuff takes time. What you're getting with Stefan is just pure, raw power. Like a, a guy who really screwed on guy, a really intelligent guy. So in terms of tactically, I think he'd be uh, very clued in. But just in terms of as an, uh, the athletic ability that you're getting with something like that, that's what I think Kerry could need. And you could, like, you know, if you suddenly you introduce a halfback line, which is uh, like, you know, you're going to go Morley will 
in an ideal sense, would still get there. You, you hold on to Foley. You can get Thomas Sullivan out the uh, wing back line, and then suddenly you've got you know Stefan Akbar to throw into the mix there as well. You've got th- th- this whole idea of a steal in your full back line. It's there mm-hmm. now. Maybe it's not you know it's not the, what we compare to 2009, but I do think it would be a, a big improvement. And that's the thing. Like there, as uh, as much as we talk about this, there actually is scope for Kerry to improve as well, which you know I guess is uh is kind of why Jack is there. There definitely is scope for them to improve, and if they do, they're very close to being there. That's the that exactly. I suppose is the point. Yeah, um, yeah. And look, just to go back to my Peter Keane point, it's not that I was saying he's doing a bad job or anything like that. It's just that if your potential is to be the best and you're the second best, then you're not unleashing that potential, you know. And I think then you, maybe you look around and say, well, is this going to happen next year, or are we get a better chance of someone else? And I think it was a fair question, at least from Kerry. I'm not sure you're too enamoured with the appointment of Jack O'Connor, but look, time will tell. Um, but interesting to kind of look at what he's bringing and what Kerry have there to unlock. Um, but we've talked enough about Kerry. Uh, they weren't supposed to get the 20 minutes here at the start of the <laughs> What about Kildare? Because I actually love what Kildare has done. Because yeah, so do I. Bloody infighting and nonsense and everything else. All, all you're expecting is, oh, Kildare now they're gonna they're gonna once again reject uh, a legend of the game and they're gonna bring in someone from the outside and the county board hates us and we hate the county board and Kildare, you know, and it's just this this just kind of like constant sort of infighting and bickering and it just seems like do you know what Ben Ryan? It's like Brian Lowen in in Clare. It's just like you know. Give the job to Glenn Ryan. He's somebody that should have had this a good while ago, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah. Like there, there's a lot to be said for it's not like the... he's just not tweets either. Glenn Ryan wanted this job and is a coach and is is you know has all the credentials, uh, not just as the most legendary player that the county's ever had. Like exactly. And I you know like I I think there's a lot to be said for the positivity that can come with appointing a a local legend who also has a bit of coaching background. I you know you. Uh, like the the buzz that was around Galway when Park Joyce first got that appointment was something just I you know I, I could not describe it yet. Like it was it just it literally invigorated the county. I think it was universally praised. This seems to be similar. And I, you know from Clare's perspective, like this is you know I'm sure they would have been pretty frustrated as well with the way the Jack Connor stuff went down. But the, they were flying into instead of you know there there was and even you know after the Jack Connor stuff, the aftermath that there was. I think wrongly reported in places that the job was there for Tom Cribben if he wanted it, which I don't, I don't think would have, you know, wouldn't have been the same inspiring without any being a slight on him. I just don't think it would have inspired the county in the same way. Instead, they have this huge positive step to jump off into uh, 2022. Like, Mick, if the GA wants to excel uh, Motion B, if they want to get this over the line, all they have to do is draw up a map and show a picture of Glenn Reiner coming down to Fitzgerald Stadium against Jack O'Connor after everything they've gone in and saying this will be a championship league game and can you imagine the absolute buzz of a game like that yeah. like Claire hopping off the ground Kerry looking for an All-Ireland that's you know that's your cell right there lads you know that's that's the marketing employee but I, I think it's great like I think from, from a Claire perspective there's you know, you know you look at Jack's record and getting them up to Division 1 was good getting to a Leinster final was good but they actually have a, a tangible reason to believe they can go on and better that now Yes, that's what I was going to say. This is a good team, you know, and I, I still think like that, like I, I, they've got five or six really good players and they've got a genuine superstar in Daniel Finn. Like anybody who watched the, the you know, the, 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 the game. Oh, the hand pass himself, he yeah. The, 
he was the best player on the pitch that day against a, a team who'd won six All Irelands in a row. I know they weren't having their best year, but like you know, there, there's plenty of talent in that to their team. Can you can we go back to Motion B for a minute? You've mentioned it a few times. It's not not particularly. I don't want to go into it in the detail that we will closer to Congress, but just to explain to people who might be only kind of half paying attention, what is Motion B? And then I just want to pick up on one thing after about TV coverage um, when it does pass. Yeah, like it, it's kind of the debate around this is driving me kind of insane because I don't think the people advocating it against it have actually world. but I, I don't think they've read the motion like some of the stuff they're saying those I just don't think they've actually read the motion like they're saying you know like why are we relegating our championship to a pre-season competition like that's not the championship anymore the provincial championship you will see provincial campaign that is still there that's going nowhere all they're doing is flipping the season. I don't think like I don't think enough people actually appreciate that. That it you still have yeah. it there. It will still mean as much as any team entering it wanted to enter. It was brought up like at a, a Kerry, uh, not to go back to Kerry, but it was brought up at that Kerry County Board meeting, that explosive county board meeting. It was brought up by somebody that, you know, one of the reasons that Kerry should be against this motion is because the outside the top five in division one about here right if you don't finish that five you don't go through to the uh, preliminary quarterfinals you're the bottom three don't uh, progress so you pick like uh, firstly there was, it was brought up that Kerry won on Ireland in 2014 and uh, they won on Ireland but they finished sixth in the league so they wouldn't have won that Ireland if the system was in place which is just it's totally sure. out of context like like I was yeah. at a I was in Tralee for a Kerry uh, league game that year they actually played Derry in Tralee and I remember being in on it and um there's this young kid and he was shooting the lights out. I didn't know much about him. I was like, like, who was this guy? Anyway, it was Connor Cox. And like, Kerry never saw him again. Like, they didn't treat that league in any way. You know, you would you would treat the league entirely different if you know the cards on a stick. And to be honest, if you can't finish in the top five, you don't deserve to be in a preliminary quarterfinal anyway in this new structure. Because that's what we're talking yeah. about here. It's not, this isn't the old league. This is not, like, I, I don't know how I can stress it's that enough. This is, it's not, the this is not the yeah. old league. It's, this, it's the four divisions. There's still a scope for a Tatian Cup. There's still a scope for teams from Division 4 to get into a preliminary quarterfinal. So there's a there's a carrot on the stick for everybody. There, there's, there's flaws to it. There is definitely certain flaws to it. I don't like the... Uh, some of the loopholes about it you know potentially getting relegated when Talton Cup you're back in and somebody else gets relegated but like I, I don't this so many of the counter arguments like the idea that teams would deliberately get relegated if they don't finish in the top five like is laughable like is, is absolutely laughable yeah. you know how long are we talking about the levels I just think that what it means is that for the whole bulk of the championship you, you like I there is still scope to get one or two hammerings because of what would happen if a division four team for example was drawn with a, a team who had a bounce in division one in a preliminary qualifying right so but that's one game and it means that the vast vast majority of your championship are going to be competitive games and that's what we're yeah. crying out for we're crying out for teams to be playing at their level and that's what you know can you imagine if you got the, the, the division one meaning as much as it will in this circumstance and there are the games there now that you know and played in nicer weather and later in the year and so on and so forth as well and yeah. we, like, we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, this can't just be a box ticking exercise. Like there needs to be more in terms of progressing the the weak, so-called weaker counties. And, you know, it, it can't just, you know, but for, for the purposes of this, you talk to the vast majority of players have come out for it. The vast majority of managers have come come out in support of it. And I, th- I really hope that they deserve to be listened to because the main voices of content against this are uh, provincial uh, leaders, you know, the, we've seen a lot of them have come out read, uh voice their opinion with it Kerry was saying you know at that county board meeting it was raised by one delegate that this isn't in the best interest of Kerry like I think that's a very selfish way of going into a, a vote like this this has to be what's in the best interest of Gaelic football and I think of the three motions that we're, that we're looking at this is absolutely the best motion for Gaelic football 
Can I also say about the weaker counties not progressing? Like we need a plan, and we always need a plan, and it should be the focus of the or the uh, association constantly. But even if it's not, Division Four teams get no coverage during the league, but they get more coverage in a real in a real way than they yeah, do in the championship. You know what yeah. I mean? So if you have this there, and it's like if if Carlo have a shock win over Wexford or something like that, you know I don't know if that would be a shock. That might be unfair. Uh, but say say Carlo be. You know, a team like that, they're going to get some coverage, they're going to get some positive coverage and some conversation. Whereas the only conversation we ever have about these teams in the championship, they'll play each other in the Leinster preliminary round and nobody will bat an eyelid, even less than they do in the league. And then they'll go and lose to by 40 points to Dublin and we'll say, We can't keep going on like this, we need to do something. What are, how are they supposed to grow football in Carlo? And that's the conversation we have about Carlo every year, you know. And I don't mean to be unfair to Carlo, it could be Longford, it could be anyone, you know. Yeah, Leitrim yeah. is the Leitrim was the team that we picked last year as the ones that we were going to feel sorry for, you know? When have we ever talked about a Leitrim game that was interesting, competitive? The London game a couple of years ago, or the New York game that they nearly lost a few years ago when they were the favourites was the most conversation I ever remember Leitrim ever getting, you know what I mean? So it's like, whereas they play in the league, we do talk about them. Maybe not everybody, maybe it's not always on the Sunday game, but they're getting coverage and they're getting, and people understand the competition that they're in and what they're trying to achieve. Like that's it's such a good point, and you know people say, oh, like at the height of the summer, will these teams really get the coverage? And as you say, they're getting that coverage while Division One and Two are actually going on as well. Like that, there's a proven template that they will get that attention at the time. I do think like these conversations have ha- happening a lot, where two people come together and they both agree on everything in the motion. And uh, so, just to, to, to it, a couple of the counter arguments, right? That, as well, yeah. Go on, you you, yeah, you give so, me yours, so, and I'll give me mine. So a couple of the counter arguments against this that have been introduced and that I think we can uh, fairly easily squash. One is the idea that if you, if you finish outside the top five, like, like let's be honest, there's a carrot on a stick there. You you don't treat this like you would a normal league. The, the idea that's been put forward a lot about the, the history of the Prince Champions being weakened, they'll be what they are, what, what you make of them. Like, I don't, you know, think about the reason the league was entertaining is because we got competitive games as much as that. So if they get competitive, like the Ulster Championship, if it's still competitive, will still be the reason where's how many times have we raved about division one or actually i think our favorite division for a long time has been division two for the last mm. couple of years because yeah. of how competitive that is and you know there's so many things that could go up or down so if what's championship uh, as they love to claim is as competitive and entertaining as they claim it to be it could still have the same prestige as an interest as those always have done it's about the parameters winning that but we wouldn't have to put as much stock in what's happening elsewhere because we're seeing blowouts whereas when we finally get up to summer we're seeing teams that are uh you know, at a competitive level. So it's not becoming, you know, the comparisons, I think it's really disingenuous to say, oh, we're relegating the Ulster Championship to the Mechanic Cup. That's not what this is at all. Like, it's, it, it, I, I, and I think it's disingenuous to say anyway, that. But possibly in Munster and Connacht, but you know what, maybe that needs to happen there because they're not even realistic competitions. And if Cork and Kerry meet in the final and Cork are, on, are a decent team one year, then that's a great way to jump into your championship is to have what will be essentially a league final. People take league finals seriously. So whatever, it's your, it'll actually even be more because of its historic connection. But I do think it will lose something. But you know what? That's okay. We have to let go of them. Munster Championship, dead. Connacht Championship, dead. And unfortunately as well, the Leinster Championship is dead. Outside of these teams playing each other, which they still will be. You know, but they're not yeah. playing any silverware or such because Dublin are just sauntering through it every year. And you're just hoping to avoid them in the draw. So whatever. Ulster will say... I've watched McKenna Cup where I thought that everything was on the line. So I wouldn't... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I I think that's it's a big part of it. Another thing as well, like the people talk about like the financial implications of what it means for the provincial counties. Are you like give me a break? Like, are you telling me that uh, competitive these competitive uh, 
and I, I'm reluctant to call them league because people attach the old league versions of it, but these competitive leagues yeah, yeah, that, that'll really. be in the summer aren't going to be like sellouts and the, the, the competitive amputation, like even just from the increase of games, like that, that does not wash for me. Like, I, I've been at league games that nearly sold out, like the league final, Kerry played my order, was a massive crowd in at that a couple of years ago. Dublin versus Kerry, the league final, uh, was it three years ago when Stephen Cross came out uh, to sell, sold out over the halfway line? Again, huge crowds at that. Like, and so you can imagine what those games would do in a, a league structure in the summer. So that that does just not wash for me at all. So I don't, I, okay. I think one other sorry, go on. Sorry, do you want to go ahead? No, I was just going to say, I think a lot of the a lot of the problems that are coming out of the the counter arguments for this are the fact that people haven't engaged with the motion enough and i do think that the ga could do more to sell the motion as we talk now the gpa are holding a press conference on that which i think is great like i really do think that drumming up as much interest as possible in getting players particularly to lobby their county delegates is important but i do think a lot of it is coming from people it's either in disingenuous or it's people not doing enough research to my mind yeah, I've got a big issue though. There's an awful lot of TV games going to come. Your one of your issues last yeah. week, last year is that we couldn't. Do, or there's an awful lot of games. Sorry, I was I was going to mention TV. There's an awful lot of games going to be in this championship. You mentioned last year that we couldn't enjoy the summer. We didn't have like oh, you couldn't just like say right, we've got the Munster hurley final, the Ulster football final. This is our weekend. We're going to look forward to them. We're going to bathe in them, and then come Tuesday, we're going to get into the Leinster final and the whatever, the kind of football final or whatever, you know, and that's it. This isn't going to have a chance to happen. It's not going to happen. We also have a TV deal that when the Super 8s came on board and the Hurling Round Robins came on board, it wasn't... Didn't increase, the TV yeah. deal, it, it didn't increase, it, it, and it couldn't um, handle the capacity that was now there for interesting, big, and get games that really needed to be on television, you know? Now, what's going to happen here? Because you're going to have all these games. You can't say, oh, geez, we can't show Galway versus Mayo, it, you know, because, you know, we can't not show that. But at the same time, that's the fourth game this week that we need to show because do we need a new TV deal? For me, actually, a TV deal that has hurling, and here's the amount of hurling games you're allowed to show, and that's separate, and a football TV deal, with a certain amount of games, I think that would be a good idea, and it would stop all the arguing that goes on. I don't know, like even if RT buy them both, I'm not. I'm not suggesting they split up or one goes on Sky or anything like that. But I don't know because you're going to have the round robin back next year, or you know, whenever this comes in, and you're going to have like 60, 70 games in this competition. And where does it all go? You know. Yeah, that it's a really good point, and I, like I really hope that that's what what I was kind of getting at there is that you know I I think this. Is it's a fabulous moment we're on the edge on, but it is only fabulous if we're if we capitalize on it. And part of capitalizing on it is drumming home the fact that we're gonna, you know, I I, I actually think it, you know, as I said before, I think the GA should be doing more presentation on this to sell this uh, motion if it is actually what they want. You know, in, in previous circumstances, the reason that these got a bit more promotion, let's you talked about super rates, you know, that was Duffy's baby, he that's what he wanted, so that's why he got promoted as as heavily as it did. That's just so I I think this doesn't really necessarily have that kind of authorship, and that might as a consequence make it suffer but however there's a proven framework mick there's a proven framework for what we can do in the circumstances and the framework is club ga like I, you watch club ga mayo ga tv is an example that strikes to my mind this year i was just going over the accounts for um, an article that i'm hoping to do in a couple of weeks and uh mayo club ga took in eighty thousand from their club ga last wow. year now they had their, their offerings are incredible like you know the, in terms of their camera work, I think Galway have actually outsourced it to stop the you know the poor stream one thing in the stand that they got Bio Sport involved, and which again you know all, all power to them. You watch what TG Car have done. You watch the innovation, how innovative certain counties have been. I just saw 
uh, last weekend I saw Westmead GA. Like, isn't this just a brilliant idea, Mick? Westmead GA have an hour-long YouTube show, three local, uh, a former Camogie manager and two local journalists sitting down talking about the club gens of the weekend and they have the clips from all the games. It's like a Westmead GA highlights package. They're sitting yeah. on you know, a full a full produced show of having on YouTube. The thing is over a thousand views down for people this is a a proven framework that you know in a digital age to come and engage that and i I, so as you mentioned i hope that is i to be honest i think that type of stuff should be addressed before we even have a vote like what does this mean from a uh what are the tv implications of something like this i i I think it's important yeah yeah that that's definitely important but um i i I do hope that given success we've seen elsewhere I, I hope that there is kind of a framework to, you know, even like I have become obsessed with TG Carter of a, a highlight show for the club games, you know, so I, I watched like Monday night, uh, Tuesday morning, our time, Monday night, your time. I watched uh, highlights from like the Limerick Club Championship, Limerick Club, Hurling, like an absolute thriller, like Liberty's uh, a shootout in that game. I watched Rhodes, like Nine McNamee, really in the years, the highlights, highlights from that game, you know, there was games from Galway on it as well. A, a really well done highlights, midweek highlights show which uh, we're going over all ground here, but, but it's something uh-huh. that I've campaigned for in, uh, previously. But I, I hope that uh, all of that stuff comes, if, not, if we don't get an answer for that before, definitely after. Okay. Uh, look, we'll talk more about this. We're, uh, when are we, when, when is Congress? 20, is it 23rd? So uh, 23rd okay. of October. So there's okay. there okay. still, there's still loads of time to drum up. Yeah. May, like yeah, yeah. maybe like you know maybe for for I could I could have overshot the gun here by the way like maybe for all I know there's campaigns in, in the framework and it's going to go yeah. heavy in the next couple of weeks and uh, can I give you my prediction? Uh, go ahead, yeah. My prediction is that everything is rejected and we stay the same. I, <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think I think two of them could even get a majority vote, but to get the two thirds won't, and we'll just say, we'll say, oh god, I can't believe Congress works this way. Nobody wants this, but look where we are. We've got the worst option of all, which is staying the same, but we don't have to vote for that. So, uh, and the one thing I would stress to people, I don't know if this is is well known. If we if th- we turn this down, our alternative, our only alternative is that immediately Congress are going to be asked to vote. Do you want to go back to the super rates or the old qualifier system? And that's the way it is. So there's there's no. The scope, this idea that you know this isn't the right uh, motion, whatever that, whatever. If we, if this comes up, we're either going back to your pits or going back to the old qualifier system. There's no in between. That's what we're going to have next year. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the hurling. The, the PwC All Stars nominees were out this morning. Still don't know if we're going to have a banquet this year. Probably unlikely at this stage, unfortunately. But look, any uh, we'll talk about hurlers year, young hurler year. Any uh, any absentees that you're furious about? Not really. No, I kind of think is there. What do you reckon? Like, have they hit on something here in terms of if uh, maybe it's just because Limerick were as dominant as they were? I kind of like the idea of the winners getting three nominations in a situation like this. Like, would you have any grievance if we have no information or anything? But would you have any grievance if the footballer nominations come out next week and you learn that it's Conor Myler, Kerry McGeary, and Darren McCurry are nominated for the best footballer no. of the year? Like, no, I wouldn't, and I think I, I. But I'd also think that there's probably a couple of Mayo guys that over the course of the year should should certainly be in the conversation, right? But I don't think that's the case in hurling. I think it's very clear. Yeah, it should only be the tree because. And look, I don't like the idea of always oh, a close final. It was two good years. Let's make sure we have two Limerick guys and one. Uh, you know, Cork guy or whatever, whatever might have been the case this year if it was a closer All Ireland, it shouldn't be formulaic like that. But in this case, the next people I would have had in, or if I was to swap anybody, would have been 
Well, well, William O'Donoghue, I think, is very unlucky not to be one of the three, but it's other Limerick. Burns, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's other Limerick guys. So, sorry, just <laughs> if they, in case they haven't seen it, the the uh, hurlers of the year, hurler of the year nominations are Keen Lynch, Kyle Hayes, and Sean Finn. Um, and the young hurler of the year, by the way, Aidan McCarthy from Clare, uh, Shane Barrett from Waterford, Non Cody from Kilkenny. So the three got the 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 other counties get a look in, and the young hurler of the year. But just talk thinking about like Keen Lynch, I think is going to win it and i think he yeah. was good all the way out through the year and got better as it went on for me kyle hayes started the year off like a house on fire was still fantastic all the way through you're still talking about like high high level but his shine out games didn't happen later on in the year and sean finn look we said we talked about sean finn early in the year best cornerback in the country he wasn't in our rolling all-stars team for weeks and weeks and weeks because he hadn't had that one standout performance there was no doubt in our mind that sean finn was eventually going to get into that yeah, team yeah. and that he would ultimately win a real all-star which isn't done by the week the way we do so there's no doubt that he was brilliant but i wonder before semi-final and final was sean finn one of the best three hurlers in the country you know this particular year i look i i like seeing a cornerback on this list so i'm not going to argue about it too much but for me o'donoghue um you know i think seamus flanagan probably didn't have a good enough final to make it but he would have been close to it as well and i'm probably forgetting one or two i, I have to say i think nikki Quaid is um somebody that could be thinking could be looking at a list like this at some point as well yeah I, like I, I just think that, you know, I think say for example you mentioned footballer a second ago, right? I, I think Lee Keegan is probably deserving of a nomination for so footballer right. of the year, but I don't think Lee Keegan deserves to win it above. Let's say he is nominated, and let's say Mikael Moyler nominated as well. But what we've seen in the past is that that content is spit the vote. Like I remember yeah. when there was lot of people were in uproar over um, uh, Joe Canning and Keen Lynch won it. Who was the other player that was nominated? Oh, Mannion. So the three boys were the three boys mm-hmm. are nominated. I think a lot of people had thought Manion might get it. Then there was a bit of a groundswell for Joe, and out of, out of nowhere, uh, Lynch gets it. Not like to be honest, at the time I had no issue with that at all. Like I thought, uh, Keen Lynch is fabulous hurler, so whatever. But you know the this but it the, happened the, in a couple of, the year Andy Moran won the year Lee Keegan yeah. did win it himself. You know, like there was an yeah. argument that they were fair, but and also look if we are talking about the football, Mayo uh, have a Mayo have more footballers of the year than most teams have <laughs> a lot more All Ireland than them. I think that did Higgins did he win? No, he won young hurler, young footballer. But you had Keegan, you had Moran, and you had one more that I'm not thinking of. But they definitely had three, I think, over the past however many years. Yeah, uh, John Fogley wrote a great uh, column. This uh, the Irish Examiner columnist wrote a great column this week about the ten things you didn't know about the All Star Selection Committee. So, and uh, one of them anyway was that they are as maybe me and you might have known this. They are very parochial. So the Dublin based journalists would be absolutely adamant that they yeah. with it. But the fact is that Dublin based journalists are uh, <laughs> outweighed by a lot of other counties based journalists wouldn't necessarily uh, agree on that. Also, he mentioned something that I don't know is uh, is as widely known. Since the GPA and GBA have, uh, voted to amalgamate, the players vote for a player of the year. The nominees themselves are picked by yes, journalists. But that's then very important. The... No, they don't vote for who the nominees are, they vote it's, on yeah, the yeah. and then that's a, that's a GPA um players uh, vote then for that so that's why you might split the vote or whatever but um yeah look i i think that i think that the the hurlers are probably fair there actually again i like i would certainly have william who instead of either finn or hayes i'm not sure but i would also pick keen lynch as the winner um exactly, of the yeah. award yeah. so i'm not really too perplexed by it and i absolutely agree there should be three limerick i think they were dominant i'd have them i think i did a team with them having 12 all-stars I, that's just me personally i think our rolling all-stars had 11 
Um, and I'm not sure where you would feel, but I, I, I can't see too many being left out anyway. Um, look, I think when a team is so much better than everybody else, like, I mean, absolutely, like, is Tony Kelly going to win an All-Star this year? He probably will, and does he deserve it? Yes, in one way, but in another way, it's like the team who was winning all the matches had more games for a reason, you know? And yeah. they are, like, like was, was Tom Morrissey better than Tony Kelly this year in the games that they that they played probably not but over the course of the year did he have more impact on the hurling season i would say yes you know because claire were out in the last 12 like and like i i can imagine there's dozen people screaming at their their phones here that you know they never got this respect for yeah but that wasn't my they... fault because i would have said <laughs> I, I there's two teams ever that i would have said deserve i the dublin team in 2018 i think was it 2018 or 20, no 2018 and the Kilkenny team in 2008? I advocated at least briefly for 15 all stars. I remember from... that, yeah, yeah. The year they destroyed it's Tyrone, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah, yeah. So, look, I mean, there's the scope for all this. I do think there is, um, that you should the way this is weighted, I would weight it differently to a lot of people. Like, I like, I, I personally think you should put more stock in performances when things are going against the grain, and when that's no, why you yeah, know, like, yeah, I, yeah. like, like, for example, you know, I, I go back to. Well, like, look, we're going over all ground here, but like what Tony Kelly did against Cork this year when, you know, the game started to come away from me, that, that wonder score he hit. Like, and now in fairness, you know, a lot of people turn around and say he didn't hit, score a goal at the end. So, and maybe the, the, something that, that I, I do think you... Or as well, you, I think, you, handily, you, you, you know? I, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. you you, ha- you have to invest more in the... <laughs> Why uh, didn't he score the goal, Morris? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, seriously, this is what I want to talk about, the narrative of that. I don't, I don't want to get into Tony Kelly chat, right? Sorry, but... If Tony Kelly had scored wonder score from the sideline, whatever, and game over, right? And he goes in full forward, picks a ball out of the sky with three cork defenders around him, wrestles to the ground, penalty, nails the penalty, times up 10 seconds later, he wins the ball like he did, bursts through and gets free out of the tackles and gets a free shot off, right? That's what Tony Kelly did do. So far, that's a miracle. If he puts that ball into the net, which is not the easiest thing he has to do in that sequence, but it's one of the more it's the one the one part of it that you'd expect him to do of it all and he does that and Claire win that match by a point because Tony Kelly scored two goals in the last 30 seconds and won the penalty that's one of the greatest stories in the history of the game oh absolutely yeah. and instead he almost did it so it's forgotten about the plaudits are shared with the Cork goalkeeper and we move on and Cork are through to the next round but yeah, it's oh, you're so right. I was thinking about this the other day. Do you, do you remember that clip I sent? Uh, I put up on Twitter of the 2008 Kerry and Tyrone game. And there's a moment in that clip, right? If you watch it from the very start, the, the ball is kicked out. Declan Sullivan standing on the 45. He works all his way back. Is one on one with Sean Kavanagh. Dives at his boot. It's an incredible block. Not only does he stop Sean Kavanagh block the ball, he gets the ball, wins it back. The ball goes up here and score. Uh, uh, Gooch gives a gorgeous pass into Tommy Watch. Tommy Walsh scores that goal. It's one of the best goals we've ever seen in Cork Park, like as, yeah. as, a, as an entire play. But instead, yeah. it's saved. It goes up. And now that the only peop- reason people remember any of that is because, oh, yeah, did that, ha- that happen before Brian Dewar scored that wonder score and carried you away another Ireland? But Kerry didn't yeah. win. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right. Um, okay, Young Hurders of the Year, McCarthy. For me, McCarthy and uh, Shane Barrett, I think. I, I'm surprised he's still uh, um eligible for this but there you go uh on cody on cody i thought faded as the year went on but was remarkable yeah, he was i, I think he's getting that right. because of the galway game i think I, I think that was it was just one i i i my my opinion on that is that it there it, it's one standout I, I i don't know what you think about this though like about young young players do you think like 
like say for example we talk about the, the dominant players who are going to be nominated for young player of the year in football like would you be surprised if a single one of them gets an all-star no I, no I don't think any of the three of them are going to get an all-star and I think that this award is becoming a little bit more like a kind of a future stars award yeah I guess yeah and then yeah. you know I think there's 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 probably lads in the age category who have a better chance of winning an all-star strangely Although I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know. I haven't looked at it in that way, but I would just think that surely just, there's I, somebody in the world of the year who's probably going to win an All-Star, you know? Yeah, I, I think, that, you know, I think they're, they're probably putting stock in that because, um, like, I the, the one that stands out in my mind is uh, Asian Mullen won it the, that year. But I'm, like, oftentimes I think the nominees are nowhere near an All-Star, whereas in Gaelic football, the nominees are, in some cases, probably, you know, close to player of the year. You think about, you know, like David Clifford and Sean O'Shea in the last two years are two good examples of that. But uh, I just think it's interesting that for, for whatever reason, the, maybe yeah. it is something to do with the game or something that uh, it just takes that a uh, couple of years more, I guess. Hurling's an old yeah. man's game, apparently. All of a sudden, yeah. Well, Tony Kelly won, <laughs> won Hurler of the Year when he and Young Hurler of the Year and an All-Star when he was 19. So he's a good player, though. don't know if you've ever heard of him. We just talked about him there two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, let, let's talk about the... Uh, look, we'll find out more about the All-Stars. We'll talk about the football ones when they're, they're coming as well. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's some hurling managerial uh, merry-go-rounding as well. Yeah. Um, look, I, I was I said I was down in Clare uh, we're, uh, at the weekend. We're very much on the border and um, with, with Tipperary. And I talked to a good few Tip people about Colin Bonner and... I don't know. I feel everybody has the same thing where I think they initially were surprised. There's an initial kind of sense of, oh, was that the best person for that job? Or, um, I, you know, was there not somebody else kind of going in for it after Liam Cattle, so on and so forth? And then it's like, do you know what, though? He did a very good job in Carlo. And do you know what? Everyone who's, everyone who worked with him at this club says he's amazing. And, you know, you told me, you're, I'm sure you're going to say now about people lying down for him uh, or, you know, that people would die from. I heard the same thing about four or five times, but it's an eventual thought. Do you see what I mean? People are uninspired by it and then talk themselves into it. And I just wonder, is the instinct right or is the analysis right? Because hopefully from Tipperary's point of view, it's the analysis that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, As you mentioned there, yeah, like a, a friend of mine, uh, Leo Hurton, a good Tipperary man from, I lived in Sydney and like, like he is willing to go to war for, for, for Conan Bonner. Like he, he, he is genuinely ready, played for him in uh, Fitzgibbon Hurling. I, like, I think uh, everything Conan Bonner has done since this appointment suggests to me that it was probably the right decision. This is probably stuff that was stressed in the selection committee. This goes back to my mind, the importance of a selection committee and what is exactly is their priority. And you, he talked about, you know, something as simple as uh, cultivating a backroom team that is every one division of the county covered you know I, I, I think it's like in, in some ways you, you might say that's simple you know you want to have as, as wide a brief as possible and this is a team on cultivation maybe they need to unearth some new talent but a lot of people don't do that you know um, you look at the makeup of some other backroom teams a lot of them will look externally or they will look a lot from their own club whereas I, I think something like that is is very encouraging I thought how bullish he was in his initial interview about the idea that this isn't you know uh this is maybe a year to throw away next year for example that he you know was fairly adamant that if they can get the right mix together pretty yeah. quickly that they can do something quick look you might say you know what else is he going to say but i do think a lot of other managers would play that safe and say you know i, I fully appreciate that we have a rebuilding job here to do that is absolutely not the noises coming out of here i remember um 
when we spoke to uh, Richard Cody a couple of years ago at Carlo, he raved again about Bonner. There definitely does seem to have uh, him that he is a, a player's manager. I actually think that's something that Tipperary need, you know, and like Sheedy was similar, don't get me wrong. I think he was absolutely a, a player's manager, but I think that's something that they need. I think it's probably, it's the right appointment at the right time, which is something that a lot of counties need to bear in mind as they, uh, as they look to future selections right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got other things there. Dara Egan has moved to uh, to Wexford. He was also in line, obviously, for that job. He's another yeah. outside manager for Wexford. See how that goes. Stephen Malumphy to go into Kerry is an interesting one. Waterford uh, man there, of course. Army guy. I'd imagine he'll be well, <laughs> well drilled. <as> well. <laughs> That's pathetic. But, you know, I'd imagine he'll uh, bring a lot of organisation and stuff like that. And Kerry always, you know, you never know with Kerry. They're always, they're always one kind of savant manager away from making a huge impact one year and then disappearing the next. But the big gaping hole in the, in the manager situation is Galway. No yeah. Davey, for sure. Anyway, I think you'll be glad about that. Um, I think they're about a week away from just giving Cyril another go, are they? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Mick. It's weird. Like, So, you know, initially, I think um, I was talking to you, there was like rumours linking David to it. Uh, by all accounts, the world out of Galway was that there was absolutely no truth to that. Suddenly now, this week, you know, there's a lot of talk that maybe he is in it, in, interested if Michal who isn't interested. So, but it, you know, it, it looked like it was coming down between Brian Hanley, who's the minor manager, and uh, Linsky, who's the under-20 manager. Like, like, to go back to the very start with all this, like, to my mind, this is this is what I was getting at earlier with the Kerry situation, and you compare it to the Galway situation. And, like, to, uh, I think Galway needs, if we're being honest, uh, as a county, a total restructure, really. You know, there, there's too many mysteries that are continuing to go unresolved. That as a as a collective, as a county, that need to be resolved. So, you know, uh, Michael Foley was writing about this last Sunday. Like, almost all the controversy about the Supermax controversy was the fact that they uh, had revealed over the four years they given two million to the Galway Hurling team. Now, when you compare that commercially, like two million to what Tenio gave to Tipperary, what JP uh, McManus is giving to Limerick, what Corker getting on Sports Direct. Like they're not maximizing their commercial benefits to uh, at all. And I actually know for a fact that one thing Michal Dunahu was very big on was fundraising by himself. I mean, he literally went and fundraised yeah. for his team and raised a lot of money, uh, it has to be said, for Galway Hurling. He was behind the a development now, Lucas, who the famous conditioning coach, initially was plied away from Galway. He's now back. Uh, it was actually Michal Dunhu's proposal that he would oversee the entire county. So you would have a, a, a structure where a guy, if he's entering Galway Hurling at 15, he is streamlined all up until uh, seniors. So that's currently in place right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think Galway is in drastic need of long-term vision. And the reason that I don't think, uh, I, I, whatever about you know externally, I don't think Dave Fitzgerald has that long-term vision right now. I think it, it would be a, a short-term fix, and I, I don't think that's what Galway needs. I would kind of compare this to, um, you know, I was writing about this. The Limerick football, for example, is something that I've thought a lot about recently. Like, I don't know if this is if this is well, widely known. Uh, Billy Lee, the current Limerick manager, Billy Lee was actually on the selection committee that went looking to appoint a new manager in 2016. So he was on this five-man panel. Uh, John Broder stood down. Billy Lee was on it, and it was his subcommittee very quickly realised. What is it we're looking for? We're looking for somebody who's ultra passionate, knows Limerick, uh, knows the lay of the land, knows where the rugby strong goes, where the soccer strong goes, can, can cut his claw to what is there. He knows the resources that are at his disposal. He knows what needs to happen in terms of the grassroots structure with somebody like Paul Connerk. He's ultra passionate about Limerick football, about rebuilding Limerick football, about creating a, st- a structure. So he, this operating in tandem, senior team, underage structures, the whole thing, uh, you know, an ultra comprehensive idea. 
And they kind of realize this is the guy we need. So mm. second meeting, he goes in, he's offered the job by his fellow subcommittee members. They'd actually approached somebody else in the meantime. Um, Billy Lee goes and he creates an entire Limerick backroom team. So, you know, in his entire reign, like this is kind of remarkable, really, when you think about it. In Limerick football's entire reign, they're, they're a goalkeeping coach, they're selector, they're strength and conditioning coach. They're, uh, every single backroom member of staff is Limerick. They're 100% uh native now why is that important because what i'm getting at is that limerick needed to uh, rebuild for long-term vision so their short-term benefits are obvious like you know they were uh, with the postway from monster final last year division four title last year division three they a uh, semi-final this year came the closest of anybody i'd say to Derry. like the last by three points as we turned out that the summer that was a pretty good Derry team so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's the short-term vision but long-term they have the academy up in place and i think galway need a similar thing like that to happen and i think the man to do that is somebody who has that at their heart, you know, it's somebody like me, hold on, who who is invested in the club game. Um, don't, like Brian Hanley is also actually, but Hanley and Ninsky are both currently coaching in the club game as well. So the scope yeah. there, I think, when hold on, who initially stood down, uh, Ford and Larkin were both approached to take it. Who were selectors on him? Now that was obviously never going to happen. But what I'm getting at is, I think it needs to be that kind of selection is what Galway need. They need somebody who is fully invested in the long term vision for Galway hurling, and that's like as much as people are willing to criticize Davy, his record speaks for itself i just don't think that's what galway need right now it's not it's not about Davy, it's about any external manager i think it needs to be somebody who's passionate about cultivating something long term for the benefit of galway hurling yeah they're also county the one day all ireland like four years ago i don't know if like the outside manager to come in and change the culture is what they need whereas i think i think you're right i think there's an element of maybe that's what counties needed in the past when they brought in outside managers or someone to change the culture make them believe show them that like this is how we do it in Kerry you should do that here too or whatever but yeah, yeah. you know and that's fine that was that worked and that's a very serious thing but I wonder if now it is more along the lines of you know if you have a county board that has all its structures in place and everything is going well and everything is there maybe that guy could come in and be the cherry on top but now if you but if you're looking to re, if you're looking to fundraise if you're looking to kind of uh, recruit if you're looking to you know scour the club game for new talent if you're looking to do all these things that a manager re, of a senior county team shouldn't really have to do but does in yeah, exactly there, in Galway in some of these places that maybe don't have their ducks in a row you need to do that from within you know and that 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 person needs to muck in and not just kind of come from the outside and say here I'm going to deal with these 30 guys and this is how we're going to um, change things. Like, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what I mean. Like, for the benefit of Galway Hurling, like, there has to be somebody, the next manager has to be come in and he has to entrust younger players. Like, maybe, and maybe that means next year, like, there might be a bit of damage there. Like, I might be a bit of heartache but entrust them that i'm not coming in here and looking for a quick fix in two years and i'm out of here again like i am going to give you a full opportunity to earn your jersey here to, to, to get in i'm going to have open trials i'm going to integrate you know part choice within the guide one of the very first things he did was not only did he include a couple of the under 20s within the panel he introduced this segmentary it's like i said it's basically like a second panel and it's all he's trying to do is streamline so that there's already a pool of players to pick from not for this year or for next year but for five years down the line that suddenly the pool of players in galway that are in uh this elite environment increases that is only to the betterment of galway football we might not see the evidence of that part joyce might never ever see the evidence of that but galway football will see the evidence of that and that's what i think you know like the I would be a lot kind of more critical than some people about Galway's inability to kick on from their underage success. Like I think it, it points to, you know, integral 
structural failures, really, if, if, if we're being brutally honest about it. Mm -hmm. like there, there's players that come in and are given very little notice. They're pulled from the panel. You know, Some of the standards that are applied are absolutely baffling. You know, a, a guy comes in, has one bad half last year, and he's cut from the panel entirely. Other players are given like a much longer leashes. A lot of it doesn't really make a, a, a huge amount of sense. But I do think, from a from a Galway perspective, they need somebody who is invested in that to, to come in next. And what you know, I don't know is Davey or anybody else for yeah. that matter from outside of Galway. The answer to that. It feels like this conversation is. It feels like this conversation is uh, at the Irish football team and. Uh, <laughs> Like we all done who is Stephen Kenny who has to go and sort of like you know build Irish football up and worry about a lot more than just the eleven players on the field. But like David Fitzgerald is for all the people who want better results, and he's Sam Allardyce in this conversation, which I don't think David would be too happy about. But uh, you know, it, it's a fair comparison, isn't it? Uh, look, we're out of time. We've got an hour here, which we weren't even meant to do, and because look, it's great to be talking about GEA. I'll give you one more subject you can talk about. You can talk about Valley Gunners eight in a row. You can talk about the Antrim final this weekend, or you can talk about uh, Owen Kelly and Mossy Quinn and all the legends that are still uh, lighting up the club championship every year, about 10 years after we all thought they retired. Yeah, I'll tell there's only one place I'm going here. I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So uh, Tuesday morning, I'm sitting down and watching the highlights on uh, TGR here, the, as I mentioned there, the South Liberties game. So this is a Limerick absolute thriller box, goes to extra time, quarterfinal. But I, I listened to a podcast at the same time, had the highlights out in front of me. And I, eventually I was like, geez, I recognize that goalkeeper from somewhere. So like just whatever it was, is gone or whatever he was doing. So turn out the thing, turn out the volume. And it was Anthony Nash. It's just like mad. <laughs> From a yeah. second, I felt like my brain wasn't computing it. I was like, what is, like, I don't understand this. It very quickly dawned on me that obviously he's got retired there was something he was looking at doing but anyway this is a long yeah, again, you, just there for, you just broke up on me there that uh since he's retired you what did he, he mentioned when he retired that um this was something he was interested in doing. he's got family ties in Limerick. he's, he's based there yeah, uh, yeah, as yeah, a teacher yeah, yeah, and yeah. this was a uh, something but for, for whatever reason it just i found it, it i couldn't comprehend that why this you know a man who embodied cork for so long for in my mind was suddenly play in the, in the heart of this uh, limit championship tie but anyway it was it was very cool to see kind of whatever you want to call it, like a modern legend operating that and then suddenly the next game comes on and you're watching Niall McNamee and it was and you know I'm sure people have seen the highlights already mm. of what he's doing and this comes a week after Mossy Quinn has gone 1-4 for Vincent's in like Mossy Quinn you know a lot of these players I think they inevitably end up gravitating you know back towards the goal because uh it's so much harder to play He's in a position well. like that when you have pace. Like this is a guy playing on the inside forward line and scoring one four. It's kind of it's 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 frightening, you know. Owen Kelly again, and this is oh, the Mossy Quinn. There's a point going around that Mossy scored, and look, I love Mossy, and I know him, and he's a great guy. He scored a point for Vincent's on the turn from about forty five yards, a high kick up there that he never would have scored in his prime <laughs> from playing. That's, 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 a, that's an interesting. I, I don't This is a separate conversation. We can get into this again. It's an interesting point, though. I watched uh, uh, Anna Down play Claire Galway in the Globe Championship. This was another game that was on TG Car Highlights. I actually watched this game live, though, in Tube Stadium last weekend. And Damien Comer, now, like, Damien Comer is uh, a brilliant footballer. We all know that. But Damien Comer hit two screamers, two, uh, a free just before half time. It was, he was, it was kind of in front of the goals, but it was a good, a good distance out. But he kicked it on his left foot, sunk it over the bar. They're a point down, uh, and they need to draw this game. So if they draw this game, they uh, they, they can progress. Kargalo need to win. 
Um, so there's four minutes left. The weather in Tume, as it tends to be, is <laughs> terrible. You know, um, yeah. like Pier, Pier Stadium in Tume, whatever it is about those two grounds, they, like they just seem to be, you know, in the seventh circle of Dante's Inferno. Like the, the weather is just always miserable. And uh, he kicks a free from out near out near the sideline, a point down, a point that came up score on his left foot, absolutely sinks it. And you're looking like. You know, Galway had an issue with their free taker this year. I don't know if you remember, they played Mon- uh, Mayo in the Connor final and just after halftime, they're six points up and Ender Tierney goes over to take the free yeah. on his left foot and uh, misses it. And it ends up, it was, they didn't score again for another 20 minutes. Uh, it ended up being fairly crucial. It's been going over a lot. And I remember thinking like, would, I was watching the weekend, I was like, would anybody have asked Damien Comer in uh, Crow Park on his left foot to take that free? And the answer is probably no. And I kind of think like maybe that's the right decision because you know there is just that small bit less pressure and he is he knows he is so much better than the players on the pitch in June for example that it gives you that just small more degree of confidence to go and do what he did like to kick a a screamer as he did on his left foot and and, you know like if anybody watched this game Damien Comer is doing everything like he kicked that free before half time over the bar second half starts he's up competing the throw-in wins the throw-in and drives up yeah. on the field as well he's playing in yeah. four different positions at once and but that's not something he doesn't have the scope it would be unfair to ask him to do that for a Galway because you know it's, it's yeah but it got me thinking you know you see players do things outrageous players fantastic players do things at club level that they would not do in a good and a bad way that they would not do at senior level and I think that's kind of yeah. okay it's kind of why the club game is as, as good as it is it's almost a separate conversation watching lads in their prime. I remember, like you know, um, our Smith O'Brien's my club down in Clare. They they beat uh, 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 Tubber this 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 year last weekend in the in the intermediate championship. Tubber have beaten them a, a good bit in the last few years. And Pat O'Connor is uh, you know the Clare captain who's out yeah. injured at the moment. He he's their cap. He's their uh, kind of star player. He's their county player. And he was centre back in a couple of those games. And I remember being at them just going like. Jesus Christ, this guy is so good. And never, you know, you'd always think, of, oh, yeah, Claire'd miss him today, but you wouldn't think much about what he could do as a herder. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and just seeing these lads up close. And I think I remember watching the Galway County final years ago um, with Killer Aaron. Um, Park Joyce was still in his prime, maybe just slightly past his prime, but for club level. And just playing genuine quarterback, like just doing whatever he wanted, you know what I mean? Holding up the game, you know, just doing that effortless Porrick Joyce solo. And it was one of the best things. I just remember thinking, how good is Porrick Joyce? I've always, he's always been one of my favorite players, but so on and so forth. So there is the, there is the watching the, the club guy in their prime, Brendan Marr for, uh, yeah, for, um, for example, yeah. you know, who we should watch out for again this year. They absolutely hammered Nina in, in, in the Tipperary Championship there last week and will have a say again. But, um, he like he was doing things he'd never do for tip because there was always somebody else to do that job, you know, um, up front or whatever. But that's one thing. But then there's also the guys who are like, do you know what? They don't have the legs or the fitness or the commitment. Sometimes it is only commitment, even at the older ages, to play county anymore. But you know what? They're still the class of that pitch, even with other county lads there when they play for Vincent's, when they play for Mullinahone. Own Kelly. Scored twelve points, I think, in the, yeah. in the yeah. like Owen Kelly. Owen Kelly, when he was in his prime, had back issues that made him like you know that that we talk like no man. But you talk to Shane McGrath, who we used to have on the show. You talk to any of them. You talk to any of those tip lads. The way they they talk about Owen Kelly like he's Christy Ring, you know, and he wasn't too far off. it. I'm not suggesting that's that's mad or anything, but I don't think there's a national appreciation for how good Owen Kelly is, and to see him still do it. 
is why we love Club GA. I hope he does it for another five years. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I kind of think, like, I isn't there's I think there's something nice about the fact that it's nearly like it's an internal secret that you appreciate them and that it doesn't get the national coverage. Like, I, when I first started playing senior football, Pat Fallon, the old uh, Mayo midfielder, yeah. uh, was still, but he was he was our manager. But the, every single year, without fail, we'd be in a relegation final, and every single year, without fail, Pat <laughs> Fallon would come on midfield and save the day. And he, he did it over and over and over, well into his 40s. Eventually, our uh, junior team in relegation trouble, he dropped down to junior, took that team, and also played midfield on that team as well, and saved them too. So th- th- he was just that kind of guy, like he w- would always have that ability. And I used to get a real kick out of the fact that this kind of Mayo legend, that nobody knew that this Mayo legend was like a hero, an absolute hero in Barna. That, like, th- at the time, you know, it was 2014, they got the uh, county... Uh, semi-final that year so they've been relegation finals for like probably five years before that and another five years after that but that year he took took him on as manager and got them there and there was a real appreciation locally for what this guy did and it was it was nearly something like you know i was glad that like you know national papers were ringing me asking me about like what's going on down there because it was just something that was yeah. as long as they're valued locally which you know Owen Kelly clearly is mossy quinn like um, i mean another example is a hero to rugby to vincent's i think that is a there's something nice about that yeah, absolutely. And look, we'll leave it at that. There is a good bit of GA to watch this weekend. Do watch it. I think the I'm not, I didn't let Morris talk about it. There isn't time, but the Antrim County final is one that everybody should watch. That's a bucket list for me. Yeah, it's live on TG Carter. That's going to be like first of all, their games. If you watched any of the county games this year, were all brilliant. Anyway, you know what I mean, and great atmospheres and so on and so forth. And it's just going to be a cracker. Can't wait for that. Uh, me and Morris will be back. We'll have guests on as well as we go through um, this series. It'll, we had a lot to get off our chest today, so we said we'd just do it between. <laughs> we'll be back early next week, and we'll be here with you, um, as I said, like re- on regular intervals um, throughout the winter. But thanks a million for joining us. Thanks a million to Morris uh, staying up late in Melbourne. Uh, he loves talking about GA, though. He doesn't mind. It doesn't matter. It could be three o'clock in the morning there, and he'd still have full. Still be. He still want to go another twenty minutes. You know so stay tuned uh, to all balls on the channels we have lots of stuff on our uh on our sports direct clubhouse for the club game and in our general gea section as well so lots of gea coverage there and we will see you soon